0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Or One of us, or all of us, you know, okay, life seems a little intimidating, you know, a 20 year old or whatever, sincere younger person, life seems pretty intimidating. I don't quite get what we're supposed to do to be happy. Right? given that I can't be in control, given how much insecurity, there's just uncertainty, there's just sort of built into the system, given how impersonal. So what have you learned? Right? They turn to us and ask sincerely, what have you learned? Can there be actual happiness, freedom or ease, an enlivened life when conditions, experiences like this You know, the Buddha describes it in terms of these three characteristics. A Nietzsche, a thought, an emotion, even a pleasant or an unpleasant feeling, they're pretty ephemeral. We've had even today, even in the last 30 minutes or so, we've had so many different feelings, so many different thoughts, so many different sensations. They might have seemed huge for a moment, but they're completely gone now. Something else is happening, let alone earlier in the afternoon or morning or last week. I mean, these things, the past literally doesn't exist anywhere. There are traces because the past experience seemingly has left impressions, but the past itself is gone, and the future isn't here. It's very thin, (laughs) In that ephemeral kind of way. Now that's gone, you know. What I said, what you felt when I said it, just gone. So that's the anicca quality, and and understanding even to some minimal degree anicca, we understand dukkha. Oh boy, if that's really the underlying nature of the world of experience. Oh, it's it's limited. I, the egoic me can't really get solid, secure, certain ground in that. It's unsatisfactory. And it's impersonal the more we study. So what would we say? Because like, this, in a way, it's not just about Sankara Dukkha, It's just about the nature of our human existence, the way it actually is. So it's not philosophical, although it may seem or sound that way, but we're really looking at our experience. So, what does ease or freedom, something that doesn't come and go dependent on conditions, so a way of being with the underlying nature of conditions, so no matter what the particular expression, of the present moment might be a nice moment, a bad moment, so-so moment, that the ease, the freedom, the peace isn't shook by changing conditions or the unsatisfactoriness of conditions or the impersonal nature. What do we know about that peace, that freedom? (laughs) <laughs> the famous line most of you probably heard it but um, Trumpa Rinpoche this controversial Tibetan teacher started Naropa in uh, Boulder, Colorado and some of you may not know this but when uh, Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein returned from Asia in uh, like 1974 I think Uh, Trumpa Rinpoche had just started Naropa University or college, I'm not sure what it was called back then, at that time. And they were sort of having this big festival of Dharma teachings. And he asked them to teach meditation, those three folks. So it was kind of the coming together of those three in Boulder in 74. And then a year and a half later, through some friends and circumstances, they got the money together to buy IMS in Massachusetts, that Meditation Society, an old... Well, it used to be the mansion of the lieutenant governor back in the mid-1800s, but then for the last 100 years or so, it was owned by the Catholic Church and novitiary, and they bought it from the Catholic Church. So Trungpa Rinpoche um, had a talk in San Francisco back in the day... Um, started his lecture by offering a refund for anybody who didn't want to stay, and he warned those who were new to that truce, uh, those who were new that a true spiritual path is arduous and demanding, involving one insult after another. So he suggested that those with doubts not embark." Quote, "If you haven't started, it's best not to begin." Then he looked steadily around the room and said, but it, but if you have begun, it's best to finish. And this is, a, you know, I, in a way this course is a little bit like that. Like when a human being gets interested in dukkha, like starts having a more honest, clear sense of the, you know, the sort of underlying nature of experience that it is, Anicca, like we studied the summer, for those who were in the course this summer. And it is dukkha, unsatisfactory. And in this sense, even for awakened beings, experience is unsatisfactory. But it isn't suffering. For those of us, all of us, who aren't fully awakened, then it's both unsatisfactory and suffering. Right? We experience suffering because we're still there's still lots of tendencies in our mind that experience should be satisfactory so because we keep expecting it to be sa- to satisfy the heart to quench desire and yet it doesn't we experience the suffering right the ouch it feels the, the unsatisfactoriness, feels personal so it hurts in a personal way but that's extra right but the unsatisfactoriness is an extra that's inherent in experience that it changes it's in motion it can't satisfy anybody and it's not personal And so this is the thing, once we kinda get a taste, it can't you can't really put it back in the bottle. I'm just gonna pretend I didn't see that. You know, about my life, my actual experience. You know, and I'm gonna go back to pretending that true love with my soulmate can make me satisfied. You can make me happy forever. Boy, that's a load to put on another human being. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Guaranteed to ruin the relationship. You know, expecting that person to satisfy you, or expecting the house, or the car, or the job, or g- having a good samadhi sit where the mind gets really calm, it's nice. But it actually ruins things, you know, because when it goes away, we feel a little bit betrayed by how nice it felt. Why'd it go away? I want it back. There's like that joke, so I'm sure many of you heard, the best way to ruin a good retreat is to have a good sit. Because then you spend the rest of the retreat trying to get it back. But get, wanting it to come back isn't the cause for having a peaceful sit. Right? Peaceful sit comes when the mind isn't neurotic trying to make something happen. When I... Uh, <coughs> was doing a lot of practice uh, in the early years, in the mid-80s and uh, I lived in the San Francisco area, in Berkeley and Oakland and San Francisco at different times. But we'd often, my friend and I, who was also into meditation, we'd uh, go uh, to see San Casevadas. I don't know if anybody was in that area at the time. He's quite well known. I, I'm sure he's dead now. I'm guessing he's dead. Um, but he was a really, he did amazing kirtan, the sort of yogic devotional chanting and just kind of a small ha- house but people would pack in and he had a bunch of other musicians that play and they you know, do the Krishna chants and the Rama chants and all the different, some of you know that um, Roger and his crew where's Roger, is he here tonight? Oh, they just performed, they have a kirtan band that comes, uh, some long time practitioners here at Kama Ground and they're often in Buddhist studies their Temple of Light, I think their group is called. They do kirtan here a couple times a year. And uh, But hi- this is a quote from him. This is in Jack Cornfield's book, After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. He's quoting Sant Kasevadas. Go ahead, light your candles, burn your incense and ring your bells and call out to God. But watch out, because God will come and he will put you on his anvil and fire up his forge and beat you and beat you until he turns brass into pure gold and this is kind of what we end up what ends up happening when we get on a spiritual path because you know depending but if it's a real path then we're going to start running in to the fact that things are changing no security no satisfaction not personal and we're going to feel the ego rather is going to feel like well, where do I turn? Where do I turn? And it's, it's kind of, you know, like they say, it gets narrow. The spiritual path gets narrow. And I, I would imagine this is not that uncommon like those of you especially who have been at it for a while, you know, how things that you would normally, the carrots you could normally dangle in front of you to kind of get you through your day s- stop working as well. So then you have to find something else to intoxicate, enchant, inspire. But after a while nothing seems to work. And it's not that your partner is sort of not as great as you once thought, or chocolate cake isn't as great as you once thought, or you know, movies or other entertainments aren't as great. It's just that they the mind can't help but notice that it's a Nietzsche dukkha anata. Whatever that experience of watching the movie is. And even though we'll get a little intoxication, a little break from the pervasiveness of the ego, the self centered mind, seeing Anicca dukkha anatta, when we get absorbed in some delight, whatever it might be, we always come back and realize Anicca dukkha anatta. And this, it's sort of, confronting the underlying nature this is why the Buddha I mean this is basically the wisdom path we use Samadhi so we can tolerate the wisdom practices. Samadhi is sort of the moist balm all the Samadhi practices all the practices that unify the mind ritual, chanting, paying attention to your nostrils and and then to the inner joy of retreating of secluding the mind from sense experience. So we have all these samadhi concentration practices that create a temporary, relatively resilient, but still temporary good feeling of unification. And because we have that temporary good feeling, inner safety, then we're willing to do wisdom practice. Oh my God, things really are a dukkha anatta, insubstantial, can't be grab can't be depen- no, we can't depend on it. It's unsatisfactory and not self not personal. everything we look at. And if we don't have enough Samadhi then we end up do studying the three characteristics with a subtle aversion and the mind starts to slide towards nihilism and depression and some kind of aversion, some flavor of aversion which obviously isn't helpful. Because then the only thing that seems skillful is get me out of here. I just want out. Then we look harder at sense pleasure to get me out of it. you know we become more susceptible to addiction, anything that's interesting. or we get interested in like you know sleeping too much or any kind of like get me out of here that's a telltale sign that your investigation isn't coming from a balanced place. Like you're maybe seeing what's happening, but you're not seeing from a neutral place. You're seeing what's happening from a place of someone who doesn't like what they're seeing, from self-view. The self that wants solid ground, wants security, right? When we're looking at the nature of our experience, from the point of being a self who wants security, we're going to freak out because what we find is there's no security. But when we feel relatively stable, relatively peaceful, relatively easeful because we've gathered the energies of the mind, we've cultivated loving kindness, the attitude of loving kindness, different wholesome qualities of mind, So we have this sort of stability, then we can really check it out. Well, what happens? Is there, what is the refuge, given that what I'm seeing directly, the data I'm collecting by observing the present moment experience, given that it is the way, things are the way that they are, what refuge is trustworthy? You know, and then, of course, we've been hearing the teachings from the Buddha, different variations of, honey, it's okay to let go. (laughs) You know, non-attachment. And we check it out. The Dalai Lama suggests that we, in reflecting in this way, we start having an aversion to samsara, like, an aversion to doing what we've always done. Why keep looking for happiness? Like, we see this in grosser levels, like whatever our addictive pattern is, always dating the same kind of person, but it never works out, or eating too much, or watching too much TV, or, you know, just... And then eventually, like in this, at least in this specific place, we have that aversion to samsara, like we feel the impulse to go there again, but Wisdom says, I know that loop of samsara. At least I know that specific loop of samsara, right? When you do that, you get that, right? Why do it? You're not, this time isn't going to be better than the 20 times before, or the 4,000 times before. So maybe, as unpleasant as it might be, maybe just hang out with what you're already feeling than to go through that whole loop of hope and then betrayal. You know, the hope that going out and partying is really going to lead somewhere, or whatever it might be. I mean, I'm not putting down going to a party, but going to a party with the idea that it's really going to lead to some kind of permanent happiness, well, then there will be betrayal. There will be dukkha. Like that story often... Um, repeat from Susan Piper about somebody talking to her about a relationship and asking, well, do you think it can work? And she says, well, of course the relas- this new relationship can work as long as you don't expect it to make you happy. Right? So go party as long as you don't expect it to make you happy. Watch that TV show, but don't expect it to make you happy. See, then it changes. Like, well, if eating this isn't going to make me happy, why eat it? You know, I mean, unless the body needs food. So that's the thing. We watch that next program because there's this diluted idea that somebody's really going to be taken care of with that sense experience. And so we're learning to, initially, we have to get really comfortable in this cornered place, just to be provocative, where we don't trust uh, samsara anymore. You know, whatever the loops, how we dance with our sense existence, we don't trust it to make me happy anymore. Vacation, planning vacation, yeah, I can, I'm fine, but I don't expect it's going to matter much. See, it sounds, it's very close to like, oh, you're, he's depressed, you know, or something like that but it's actually this development of wisdom because it's actually true you know we've done a lot of some of us have had good fortune and we've done ex- so called exciting things interesting things but what is the long you know is there what's the lasting effect if anything This is again from the Dalai Lama. We try to enjoy ourselves in order to have some kind of mental satisfaction. But the pleasure and happiness of samsara are such that no matter how much we try to enjoy them, there is no sense of contentment. It's just endless. You should reflect upon this lack of contentment, which in itself is a great suffering. And the Buddha says, whether Buddhas appear or not, there remains this element, this structure of things, this certainty in things. All formations are impermanent. All formations are dukkha, unsatisfactory. All things are not self. So like, sort of begs the question then, you know, so we're hanging out in this place where we've trained the mind to have a more honest um, sense of the changing, unsatisfactory, impersonal nature of thought, of emotion, of sight, of sound, of touch, of every aspect of experience, right? We're just in that space and we feel an appropriate wholesome i don't know maybe it's better not to use the word aversion but dispassion around samsara around all the underlying tendencies that are programmed into our personality to to imagine to, that we can like that, that you know taking up some adventure or some trying to make something happen trying to become somebody is gonna be meaningful to a somebody in a substantial way. And so it's it's a it's really profound because it's like all basically what's happening in a human being is they basically have um, undermined all the, all the motive forces in their heart to be in the world before the new motive forces have really come online. So it's a tricky place. Like you hear stories, I know a lot of you have read Eckhart Tolle's books because it's a dramatic story where his awakening and he was disoriented for a couple years, not really able to function very well. And this is that sort of dark night of the soul in a Buddhist Buddhist sort of way where the old way circling in samsara doing the same thing, getting the same result. An ego, a self-centered mind, seeking something substantial and satisfying and personal in a world that doesn't deliver things that are stationary or you know, solid and satisfying and personal. Yet that's what the self-centered mind is seeking in relationship, in food, in sense experience, in becoming somebody. We're looking for something that's solid or dependable, not insubstantial. We're looking for something that's satisfying, not unsatisfying. That's mine, not that's nature, not mine. Right. So we keep going, and then we realize that's not going to work, and then we're in this sort of, Purgatory place. It's called being a spiritual seeker. That's why people come to a place like Amagon, they go, Everyone's so neurotic. But it's often it's because a lot of people when they're doing the practice we're on in the hot seat, you know? It's like we're not content to participate in ordinary loops of diluted loops. So we get weird because we don't have our ordinary distractions. I mean, we still do, of course, but they're not working as well as they used to work. right? We've started to undermine the ordinary patterns of distraction. They're just appearing to be not worth the effort more and more. Anybody notice that in their lives, this pattern? right? This is quite predictable. And good Dharma friends normalize us for each other. You know, yeah, just don't call that person anymore. Uh, I haven't played ping pong in years. (laughs) Now, if you still play ping pong, (laughs) I crave playing ping pong, by the way. (laughs) It's just our basement ceiling is too low. (laughs) But someday I'll have a nice ping pong table and then and then the dukkha will be needing people to play <laughs> who aren't too good but aren't too bad and really are into it but don't really want to win, <laughs> right? Not too competitive. Never will end. <laughs> so... Yeah so there we are and so then the question is like what's the way what's the way out right so we're hanging out in that place and then that's where we you know the teachings we hear the teachings like the buddha's synonyms for nibbana which i have the unfashioned the end the effluentless right the true the beyond the subtle the very hard to see the ageless permanence, the undecaying, the featureless, non-differentiation, peace, the deathless, the exquisite, bliss, solace, the exhaustion of craving, the wonderful, the marvelous, the secure, security, nibbana, the unafflicted, the passionless, the pure, the uh, release, non-attachment, the island, shelter, harbor, refuge, the ultimate. And the image that's used, and it relates to the word Nibbana, is a, a, a fire going out. So this really ties in with the word non-attachment or relinquishment, putting down the load. There's a great story, I don't know if you know Ramana Maharshi, but a very famous Indian saint who died around 1950, uh, and pretty influential. I, some of my early teachers were students of his And uh, I've been to his place in southern India. Some of you know Franz, who comes and teaches us Qigong. He's got a place down um, near um, Ramana Maharshi, where he was on this mountain in southern India. But he used to tell—he didn't talk too much during his years of teaching. But one story he told is, you know, just to kind of describe to his students like what they're not getting. He says, "You're—you're like your." on a high speed train you know an express train and you're standing in the aisle and you're holding your luggage thinking that you know you're delivering you're bringing your luggage to the next wherever you're going and then you can put the luggage down and that's the thing it's like we're so deluded in thinking that we've got to do something. There's a somebody that needs to do something. right? That's the self-view. And that's really what gets put down. And that's why we need the hot seat, because there we are, and we really created by studying a dukkha Dukha right? which will continue into the winter, we really create this hot seat where we're a sensitive human being, and everywhere we look you know whatever sense experience we can imagine or that's inf- available it's like it's not that it's bad it's just anicca dukkha anatta it is what it is it's not less than what it is soup doesn't become less than what soup is tv doesn't become less than what it is but it it's seen as not being more than what it is it's just that experience being known And it stops at some point. It arises, it lasts, and it ceases. It can't provide a full, complete satisfaction. And it's not personal. Whatever we feel when we're watching that show or eating that food or hanging out with that friend, all of that is a conditioned arising. All that like, oh, you're the best, or this food's the best, or whatever, delight or hate that arises conditionally. We interpret it out of habit as, that's my emotion or that's my feeling, and then that's our conventional language. But when we look at any kind of response we have to any kind of experience, when we really look at the responses we have, we see they arise conditionally. You didn't make that response. Like if you like the talk tonight, you're not actually liking the talk tonight. That liking is arising. And being known. It's not more or less than that. It's not personal, whether you like it or hate it or indifferent. It's that response that you're having to being at Common Ground is just what it is. Not more, not less. It's something that comes and goes. It's a Nietzsche. Whatever the response is, it's not going to satisfy a somebody, and it's not really personal. And the more we hang out in that place, and especially hearing teachings about letting go, different directions, different varieties of hearing the teaching about letting go, gradually the refuge comes into view, which is you know non-clinging, but not the word, not the concept, but recognizing the heart, the mind, free of clinging recognizing the heart. Like we know, as Dharma students, we've been, we've gotten pretty good at recognizing when the heart's attached, right? Because the dukkha wakes us up. Oh, yeah, look at this. My mind is attached. My mind is resistant. My mind really wants. Ah, this is dukkha. This is suffering. We can get good at that, but we're not so good at noticing the heart or mind free, empty of grasping. So, you have to hang out in that space until being a human being who's sensitive to experience it, that is anicca dukkha anatta, and there's nobody suffering. Dukkha is, but no one is suffering. Things are unsatisfactory, things are anicca dukkha anatta, but there's nobody who's suffering. That's the experience. It's okay. The world. Nietzsche dukkha, anatta hasn't changed. Experience, sense experience still comes and goes, Not sa- doesn't satisfy anyone, and is impersonal. But the somebody who's suffering is not to be found. Suffering is, no sufferer can be found. That's a line from Buddha Gosa's text, about 300 CE, um, famous monk, who wrote The Path of Purification. It's an important text in early Buddhism. Suffering is, uh, doing is, no doer can be found. Suffering is, no sufferer can be found. It should be like dukkha is. Things are unsatisfactory, but no sufferer can be found. So I'll leave it here. Um, Yeah, lots more to say, but we'll pick it up in the winter for those of you who are interested. But we need to break into small groups for the discussion. And remember that theme again. Of course, anything that seems relevant from the talk tonight to share in your small group would be appropriate. But just in particular, that theme of responding to that question, given the nature of experience is what it is, somebody with you know dear friend a sincere young adult asks you so what taste what intuition do you have you experienced the real freedom given that there really isn't any security any certainty anything that is satisfying in a lasting way given how impersonal not just the world but our minds or emotions are How have you found your way toward any real substantial lasting ease and peace? What does that look like in your life? What would we say to that person? What would be an honest, not idealistic, not hopeful, but what would be an honest response? It might be nice just to go there or anything else that seems relevant. So, again, it looks like somewhere in the 60s or 70s. So, let's say we do... This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.